0: The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit RestorationSouthside.org.
1: Another, And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher, you have truly said that he is one and there is no other beside him. And to love Him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that He answered wisely, He said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask Him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you're in kindergarten through fifth grade and you would like to go to children's church, it's a lot of fun. Please join our volunteers by the Kids Zone sign there in the back. And if it's your child's first time in children's church, please go with them so we can get them checked in. Thank you.
0: Thanks. Thanks, Michael. Well, we've been working our way through Mark. And we're um, kind of at that post-intermission part. The first part of Mark is uh, Jesus and his ministry, what he's come to do. And the second half of Mark, its the, Mark's the fourth gospel, is the last seven days of Jesus' life, the Passion Week. Jesus is journeying toward the cross. And we've come across uh, a passage uh, here called uh, The Greatest Commandment. So we'll spend the next four hours or so um, parsing it out, but uh, it's in two places and it's in matthew twenty two and in mark twelve in matthew twenty two we see that Matthew really details the question that's asked, really makes sure that it's really understood the question and here in mark Mark wants to get across uh, the questioner Mark really explores and shows who this guy is and what Jesus is saying to him. What he's saying, but to him. And so up to now, we've seen there be all these enemies trying to trap Jesus as he's going toward the cross and it's intensifying. And it's, it's easy to lose and miss this, but there's a, there's a tone change. People are trying to trap him, all these different groups. And all of a sudden, one scribe comes to him and with honesty, And curiosity, asks Jesus a question. And we see his gentle and gracious response. And so this morning we see this passage, a question that's answered, but what what we see in this passage is the answer to this question. And it's, what does God want from you? What does God want from you? And the way you answer that question is important because it'll shape everything you do. And you probably have many different answers. Each of you probably have a a different answer. And so if we listed it all, it'd be uh, long and varying. What does God want from you? And what we see in this passage, Jesus graciously and puts it before us that what God wants from you is for all of you to come across and encounter all of him and be changed by it. All of you, every part of you encounter all of him. That's what this great commandment is all about. And so with that in mind, we'll look at three things this morning. Uh, what we ask, what is love, and then how to love. Just some light topics. Uh, what we ask, what is love, and then how to love. Um, but let's pray as we study Mark 12 together this morning. Lord, as we're just saying, we long to know uh, the peace within our chest, And so this morning, would you comfort the disturbed? That's the kind of God you are. And Lord, also at the very same time, would you disturb disturb the comfortable as we see you, Lord, in a new light and in a new way with new truths. It's a hard thing to do what you've asked us. And so this very day, by the power of your spirit, Would you meet us where we are to change us, all of us, every part of us, because we've seen every part of God. May this be true this very day, only by the power of your spirit, in your name, amen. So what we ask, first of all, what we ask, we're in the middle of Passion Week, it's Tuesday or so midweek and uh, he's being um, grilled by all these different uh, religious parties. We see the Herodians, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, all these different, uh, and they're all very different and varying, all of which are trying to get rid of Jesus. It says, obviously and explicitly, they're trying to kill Jesus. They're trying to kill him. And yet one scribe comes up to him. The scribe knows the Old Testament law, knows the commandments, knows all of these things. He's studied it. He's committed his whole life to it. And he comes to Jesus and asks him about it. He asks him about the law. And he's not trying to trap him. He's earnestly wanting to know an answer to this question. And he goes to Jesus in verse 28. It says this. And one of the scribes came up and heard him disputing uh, heard disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? He sees Jesus engaging and interacting with these different groups, and he's seeing Jesus is holding his own. Jesus is really uh, making clear and parsing out his responses. And so the scribe is coming to him and wanting to know the answer to this. What's the greatest commandment of all and Jesus, you're not messing around, you're pretty faultless in what you say. So here's a question I got for you. What's the greatest commandment? Now, he knew all the commandments. there's 613 uh, in the Old Testament that he would know, like the back of his hand. And it wasn't uncommon for people um, to go to teachers and say, "Teacher, here's this question: Give me your wisdom and insight." So it's not uncommon. Well, what we see is he's really earnestly searching and wrestling. He's saying, Jesus, I've committed my whole life to this scribe thing, to know the Old Testament law. So Jesus, what's the most important one? And the most important one, it's not saying um, what is kind of the one thing I got to do. It's a, hey, of the 613, which commandment do all other commandments get marching orders from? What's the most important one? What do I have to know? Jesus, he's coming to him and saying, I've given my whole life to the law. What's the most important one? And he's coming to Jesus and earnestly asking Jesus about the thing that is most weighty in his life. He's saying, Jesus, I see talking to those people and talking to these people and you're doing a good job. Well, well, what about this? The questions that you and I ask are just the same. That we see Jesus, we know of Jesus, we've heard of Jesus. And we say, okay, all of those things, but what about this? I see what you're doing there, but but, but real close to home for me, what about this? Fill in the blank. That's what the scribe is doing. What's the greatest commandment, Jesus? I know the law back and forth. What's the greatest one? I know the law back and forth. He's competent in it. He's good at it. He knows it well, but also he's deeply confused. He's saying, what is it? Competence, confusion. And when we take the avenues, either, either or or both, the questions of, of in the areas of our competence, we're so good at something, we've cornered the market, and yet it's still not enough, and we go to Jesus, it's not too much for him. Because earnestness can be asked there and also the avenues and the areas of confusion in our life that are most weighty, we take them to Jesus and say, Jesus, I can't make sense of this tension. What do you have for me? The scribe is taking the area of competence and confusion in his life to Jesus and earnestly asking, for you, what place has the most weight that you're asking Jesus to do much with? It could be competence. That there's more to the story than just being good at something. Because there's a, there's a silence that ends when even I have everything right. Or it could be something that you're confused about. Yeah, Jesus, I see you doing all this stuff, but what about what about this? What about this thing? He's asking Jesus, and I think we all in all of our questions are asking Jesus. Are you really who you say you are? Are you enough? Good enough, big enough, powerful enough, whatever it may be, are you really who you say you are? That's what he asks, and in a way, it's what we all ask. And a quick side note. He's going to the cross, Jesus is, in the Passion Week, and up to now, he's been uh, berated and trying to be entrapped by all these people who are against him and trying to kill him. And all of a sudden, a scribe comes up And he asks an honest, searching, earnest question. And how does Jesus react? Graciously. Slowly. Compassionately. When he's sought after with earnestness and honesty, the only way Jesus knows how to deal with you is with compassion and genuineness and slowness and gentleness. What areas of life is that? And you're longing to hear King Jesus say to you an answer that's all those things, slow, gentle, and compassionate. The story goes on. We ask questions of the most weight in life that we want Jesus to clarify and clear up. But there's more to it in the story. Uh, And we see... um, Yes, we ask those questions, but but, but what is love, right? What is love? What is love? (laughs) The scribe is genuinely asking for understanding. And he says, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, this response, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. What's the single greatest commandment, Jesus? And he says, two commandments. And he fuses them together. And he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? It's this Old Testament passage in Deuteronomy 5 called the Shema. And if you were an Israelite, you would say that right when you woke up. You would say it but when you went to bed and a lot of times in between. Right? It was just woven in the fabric of societal life for the Israelites, that very saying. And he takes that loving God and he fuses it with Leviticus 19, a whole entire chapter dedicated and detailed with what you are to do in loving a neighbor. And Moses in that is writing in Leviticus 19, hey, you, people will know that you belong to God when you do these things for your neighbor, and it's going to cost you something. I heard one person say, you know this, Christianity is hard, it's hard to believe. It is. But, but a little insight from this passage that there's there's a great deal to it and depth to it is that it always has uh, the outsider in mind yeah you should love god and wherever you love god love of neighbor will follow and yeah you should love your neighbor and wherever you love your neighbor love of god should be there too they're 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 right they are tied together fused together they're inseparable and it's the christian greatest weapon it is to love God and to love others. It's, that's the playbook, right? You know, how in college football, yesterday started, um, but I, they have, coaches have those big old plastic laminated sheets, and they cover their faces with it when they say something, or they just it kind of w- w- wiggles. the The Christian play sheet is this: love God, love neighbor. That's it. So Jesus is saying to them. And here we see the response of the scribe in verse 32 and on. It says, And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbors as oneself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw, he answered wisely. He said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. Of God. The scribe has this light bulb moment; he realizes everything Jesus has said is true, and all of that is better than anything he can do in this sacrificial system. He's saying all this religious stuff is simply attesting to you and a relationship with you. And Jesus says, "You're so close. You're not far from the kingdom. To understand that is to understand the kingdom." What's this kingdom all about? It's about love. This kingdom's about love. Now, it's a slippery word and it's a slippery thought, so we really need to parse it out to make it really grounded and calibrated. So we need to answer why this love thing is so important. And it's so important because we're built to be lovers. I will say for myself, and I'm sure you would maybe resonate. I'm at my worst when I'm a bad lover. Or, I'm a bad lover when I'm at my worst. Meaning, I love things improperly, too much, too little. I love myself improperly, too much, too little. Whatever it may be, when when there's this calibration in my life, it usually attests to what I'm loving and giving myself to. And it's because we're built to be lovers. We're built to give ourself in relationship and to receive in relationship. We're built for that. You're hardwired for that. And we're meant to plug our existential umbilical cord into something. And things go awry when it's, we try and just try different outlets. Now, you don't just walk up to something and say, I would like to love you today. <coughs> I wish it was that easy. But um, it's more nuanced. And it's deeper. And in fact, the places you go for longing and love uh, tell a deeper story. Because it's saying, I've got this itch, I want scratch, and it seems like this is promising. We're built to be lovers because we want something. And one theologian said this, James uh, K.A. Smith said this. He said, you can't not love. Love. It's why the heart is the seat and fulcrum of the human person, the engine that drives our existence. We are lovers first and foremost. You are what you love because you live toward what you want. We become what we worship because what we worship is what we love. As we've seen, it's not a question whether you worship, but what you worship. We can't not love something as ultimate. We can't not love something as ultimate. We are meant to give ourselves ultimately to something that we call ultimate. And when it's ourselves, all of a sudden what we have to do is have this fragile ego that to be kept up and inflated. Because everything around us could be a threat to it. We could love others, and there's all of a sudden, uh, ultimately love others, and there's, there's this pressure and weight we put on them. And all of a sudden, we feel discontentment. And, and they feel uh, this weight of burden that's too much of an expectation. We could love what we do, our career, our work, ultimately, and all of a sudden see everyone around us as simply um, pawns in the machine and a threat to us on the ladder. We could love money, ultimately, and yet never have enough. Experience, if you're like me, experience, ultimately, and just be waiting as you're living in between each mountain peak. It could be a claim where you're obsessed with hearing others say your name. We're meant to ultimately give ourselves to the thing that we call ultimate. It's it's how you're built. There's no way out of it, sorry. We long to give ourselves to something to get something in return. And when we look and hear about this love thing and this worship thing and giving ourselves to something thing, we often uh, have this tendency and temptation to oversimplify what love really is. If we are lovers, what's love? And we often oversimplify it. And we call, if you, tomorrow night, if you watch The Bachelor, you'll know this, you, you'll see that uh, love is pretty equated with affection, right? If, if there's affection there, you're probably going to go the distance in the show. We can talk later about this. But um, <laughs> when, we, when we equate love, the definition of love solely to affection and emotions and experience, all of a sudden when that's not there, we'll wonder, do we really have love from another another? And we're void of experience and emotion and connection and affection. Sometimes we oversimplify and have this temptation to say that love is assurance. That if I'm safe and have locked a partner down, a deal down, that that if I've locked it down, nothing can take it away, I'm safe. But all of a sudden that's stripped this emotional side away. Because you're meant to feel and experience and know and be known. And maybe you think that uh, there's this uh, tendency and temptation to oversimplify that love is abundance, that you need to get what you want and and have it at your speed and have this kind of a la carte buffet style. Uh, That's what love is. And all of a sudden, that turns into um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Augustus Gloop, right, just shoving his face with whatever um, sucrose, glucose thing he can find. The love that Christ is talking about here, it has affection, emotion, and experience. It does. The Christian life has that. The love he's talking about has assurance and security. The love he's talking about has abundance. He said, I've come to give life and life abundant. It has all those things, and it is all those things after the fact of allegiance. Jesus is saying, "To love me is to give all of your life to me, and then you'll know fully all of these things. What does God want from you? All of you to experience all of Him? And that's why He says to this scribe who's like nodding along and saying, "You're right, Jesus, you're saying the right things. Like uh, to love God and to love neighbor is better than any sacrificial, religious stuff I can do. You're so right." And he says, "You're not far from the kingdom." He doesn't say you're in the kingdom because the difference is he hadn't quite said, I'm all in, you have everything of me. What parts of your life, and it's often the ones in the shadows and in the darkness and the nooks and crannies, what parts of your life is longing to know and experience the love that Jesus has offered and offering? he's saying, bring it to me, put it under the banner of my allegiance, and guess what? It'll work out just fine. What are those parts? It makes sense why we know that love is allegiance. Just in, this, in the song, the hymn, that says, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Jesus is not interested in parts of you. He's interested in all of you. He's a lover and you're a lover. And that's the love he's called us to. We ask him questions of great weight and want him to be enough. We see that true love is a love that has allegiance and then the things that follow are abundance and affection and assurance and much more after that. But we need to know how to love. And this is kind of the la- this last thought. How do we love? A few years ago, right right kind of in the middle of the pandemic, towards the beginning of the pandemic, um, my wife and I celebrated our anniversary. And so what we did was, it was only takeout, and so we ordered uh, a meal from Canyon Grill, which is uh, 600 miles that way, um, and we drove there, and my mother-in-law's 78 convertible bug and it's a great little car, it's a manual, and it's really fun to drive, and um, it had been sitting in the garage, and the the battery was dead. So we jumped the battery, and we're off to Canyon Grill to celebrate our anniversary, kind of a night out, um, or at least a night to pick up food. Um, And we're driving and enjoying the drive, enjoying talking about all the things. um, And we get there, we pick up our food, and we see someone we know, and we start talking to them we're talking to them, and uh, it's getting kind of, this conversation's getting long, and we're burning gas in this little car, so I turn off the engine. Well, when you jump a battery, and you turn the car off, you can't restart it without a jump. And so, um, all of a sudden I realize this car's not cranking, and uh, if you've been to Canyon Grill, you know that there's um, kind of the entrance in one level, and there's down low, there's a parking lot, kind of down this little hill. Well, I've seen Little Miss Sunshine, And I know that if you pop a manual into a particular gear and and work one of the thousand pedals on the floor, uh, that you can start the car without a battery. Just send it on in and the manual will start itself if you do it right. So this is my time to shine. And so uh, we're kind of at the higher part and we're going to coast down into the lower kind of uh, parking lot. And so I'm pushing the car, push it, jump in, slam the door real smooth. And um, going down the hill, and about halfway down the hill, I think to myself, I know how to drive a manual. I've, I've never started a manual car ever before this way. And I get to the bottom, and I start moving these pedals and, and kicking stuff and moving my hand with the, with the switch and the gear. Land at the bottom. The car has not started. And my wife walks up to me and says, why didn't you start it? I told I realized about halfway down the hill, I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) And then uh, we had a story after that. Um, If I say to you right now, greatest commandments to love God and love neighbor, there's the door, go and do likewise. You'd be just like me in that car. And you'd be trying to figure out, you know you've heard about it, you know it's a possibility, but you'd be trying to figure out how this works as you're trying to kind of on the field training. And when we do that, when we try to love and we don't know how to love others well, and when we try to love God and don't know how to love God well, all of a sudden, uh, the potential for shrapnel to fly is great, both outward and inward. In order for us to love well, we need to know how to love. We need to know how it works. And we can't love anything properly unless we really know the source of love and that's what first John says to us and it 's short and it 's simple first john four nineteen we love because he first loved us. The only capacity you have to love and give yourself as a lover to anything is to encounter Jesus as the person who says I've loved you first. I am the first domino to fall. I'm the first cause. And thus, everything after, you can follow and look to me as this template. You can love because and only because I've loved. And also, uh, the people around you will only know love to the degree that you have been experiencing the love of God. The source, he loved because... We love because he first loved us, but there's the action. How do we love? Just like he did. And before he goes to the cross in John 15, he says to his disciples this. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one another. The seismic impact of experiencing the one who has said, I have loved you, therefore go in love, will make itself known in the way that you die to the people you are in relationship with. You die for them. You give up yourself. You give up not just um, kind of this compromising thing, but you love them enough to say, I'm in it with you and I'm for you. I'm here to lay my life down for the sake of you because that's what love is. It's impossible to love anyone properly and anything properly without really encountering and experiencing and rubbing up against what love is and how it's offered at the cross. Jesus does not love you because you're a good boy or because you're a good girl. He loves you because he has set his sight on you and you have a bullseye on you, whether you know it or not. And it's not to take you out. It's to say, this is the marker in which I will lavish my love upon you. That Jesus is after you. And he wants you to know all of you to come under allegiance, under his kingship, so you can know all of him. That's what he's about. He knows everything about you, and he still loves you. Actively, incessantly, constantly, intentionally. Tim Keller says this. He says, To be known, or sorry, to be loved but not known is comforting, uh, but it's superficial. Uh, To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot by a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. What's he saying? When you're known by a lover and loved by a lover, that's when you're most full and satisfied. That when someone knows you, they don't know all of these liabilities about you and thus not love you. And the scandal of the gospel is that Jesus knows everything about you, every single part of you. He knows every single part of me, and yet what happens after that? He chooses to go to the cross and say, I love you and I know you so much to the point where I will know greater love than this. I will lay my life down for you. He's a lover that pays the debt of the one he's trying to love. He's a God who says, here's how you love. He did not die for you because you're beautiful. But you are beautiful because he died for you. And that frees you from ever trying to prove yourself worthy of any kind of love. How do you love? Because you first loved us. Let's pray. Lord, speak uh, to our hearts only in a way that you can the truth of the fact that you have asked us to love you with an all-encompassing love and to love our neighbors uh, in light of that. But do not let us ever hear that and think to ourselves, there's so much I've left undone because, Lord, there's nothing you have left undone. So this very day, May the scandal of your love prick our hearts when we look to you and bring you earnestly the things that are waiting our life, as we long to experience you and the freedom you offer. We pray Christ in your name. Amen. Of your love uh, prick our hearts when we look to you and bring you earnestly the things that are waiting our life, as we long to experience you and the freedom you offer. We pray, Christ, in your name. Amen.